Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened this week in the world of WWE. We're talking SmackDown Raw Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, and everything in between. So stick with us. We will get to all of that in a moment as part of this loaded show that does also include a breaking news item at the top. Before we get into that news item, before we get into our WWE breakdown, allow the Silver King to remind you that this podcast is all about So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being marks for the Silver King for vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for this damn podcast. Also leave on Apple a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, why you subscribe, and why they should as well. As I have said many times, I will read every new five-star review right here live on air. And we got another one that came in from Sport Nuts with a Z. Love it, exclamation point. Used to listen in the CBS days. Was excited to find the new podcast. They cover WWE, AEW, NXT, and beyond. Instant reactions from all the big shows, plus weekly recaps. So much free content. Well worth the listen. Thank you so much, Sport Nuts with a Z, for that five-star rating and review. All of you guys who have not done it yet, please, guys and gals, please do not forget to leave the five-star ratings and reviews. They continuously help boost our show, pump us up in the rankings, get us more listeners, more opportunities to gain listeners, and just greater exposure as well. Also, something that you can do to help us is to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we tweet during the shows, we we share news, uh, memes, funny stuff, or at least I think it's funny, uh, all week long, and we're just there to talk about professional wrestling, entertain you. It's also a great way to know whenever a new episode drops. The very first thing we do after I click publish on the episode is I tweet it out to let you know it is officially live and ready to listen. So please follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. Now, I will say that Vintage and I, we planned to open the show, you know, a little bit more jovial, a little bit uh, fun. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have the ability to do that this week because some major news went down on Monday. Uh, Jeff Hardy, the former longtime WWE superstar, current AEW wrestler, was arrested early Monday morning for driving under the influence of alcohol slash drugs. That's officially what the uh, statute is titled. Uh, It was his third DUI within the last 10 years. Therefore, it is officially a felony DUI. He was also hit with two misdemeanor charges, I believe, for driving with a suspended license and driving a vehicle that did not meet guidelines previously imposed upon him from a prior incident. In other words, he was supposed to have one of those ignition devices where you have to breathe into it to start the car in his car, and he did not in that vehicle. So therefore, he got hit with another misdemeanor. Uh, Police documents show that he blew 0.291 and 0.294 on his two breathalyzer tests, the legal limit in Florida, which is where this happened, by the way, Daytona Beach, Florida, is 0.08. So he was nearly four times the legal limit. Uh, cop cam video shows that he was driving a white Dodge Charger on a freeway. Uh, he was swerving all over the road, driving erratically, uh, eventually 
cops were able to pull him over in Volusia County um, and they asked him to leave the vehicle. He would not do so right away. So they drew their guns on him. Three cops in broad daylight drew their guns on Jeff Hardy in the car. He eventually uh, did exit the car um, and officers were able to kind of get him out without further incident, obviously without any uh, bodily damage. He was kind of shifty on his feet, mumbling, whispering, not really speaking loudly. He admitted to taking shots of fireball before getting behind the wheel. Uh, Officers eventually had him do sobriety tests in a nearby parking lot. He was not able to complete any of them, so they arrested him, sent him to jail where he was until late Friday when he bonded out. So, of course, this is horrible news uh, for Jeff Hardy, the individual, uh, for AEW, to a much lesser extent, uh, the company, and certainly everyone who was on the road in Volusia County, Florida, uh, with Jeff during the time where he put others' lives at risk by driving under the influence. Luckily, nothing happened. There were no major incidents and no one was hurt. But as I kind of just said, that was indeed pure luck. So, Chris, you know, um, there's kind of both a lot and not that much to discuss regarding this incident. Uh, Obviously, it's extremely unfortunate. Jeff has been battling uh, drugs and alcoholism for decades now. At this point, he's had second, third, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, a hundred different chances, it feels like. Um, there were a lot of people, you know, we, we can kind of go back to his exit from WWE. You know, he, first he rejoined WWE uh, with his brother, Matt Hardy, at what was the number of WrestleMania 32? 30, uh, it was in, I always in get New Orleans, 33, 33. It was the one in Orlando. Yes, I, or yeah. Orlando. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, WrestleMania 33 in Orlando, and once his uh, eventually his brother uh, requested his release, WWE gave it to him. And during the pandemic, Jeff literally did a storyline uh, where Sheamus um, faked a DUI, <laughs> putting Jeff behind the wheel, and they discussed his alcoholism on air. Um, that he eventually, through the course of that, won the Intercontinental Championship. And it seemed throughout that whole process during the pandemic. He really had recovered like, you know, it's 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 impossible to tell the way someone speaks and acts on air and what they're actually doing in real life. But best I can say is what the person that we saw uh, on television during the pandemic looked like someone who had completely recovered and someone who really had put their life together a little bit. And then uh, to our absolute surprise, while Jeff was legitimately being used by WWE, Uh, Word came out that there was a WWE house show live event uh, and Jeff was in a tag team match. He was on the ring apron. He had completed, apparently, reportedly his portion of the match tagging with Drew McIntyre. And he just left the ring apron, walked into the crowd, took pictures with people, walked around, celebrated, did a bunch of stuff. Uh, Drew was left to complete the match by himself to one one handicap, although apparently, again, Jeff's portion of the match was done. Not that that really matters. Um, So Jeff gets to the back. And again, this is all reports, so we don't know exactly what was or was not said. Jeff gets to the back. WWE officials are concerned about what happened to him. It's eventually said by one person or another, Jeff, uh, why did you do this? He can't really give him a good explanation. They want him to take uh, tests for drugs and alcohol. Jeff said, I'm not doing any drugs. Uh, So they demanded he get tested. They tested him. Uh, apparently, before those tests came back, reportedly, uh, 
They told Jeff, we need you to go to rehab for 28 days if you want to remain employed here. He said no. Now, the Hardys claim that those tests came back negative for drugs and alcohol. Um, but WWE nevertheless gave him an ultimatum. He said no, and they released him. Uh, very shortly after that, Jeff signed with AEW, and it seemed like things were going relatively well. Uh, and at the beginning, when Jeff was released by WWE, the public sentiment was anti-Jeff, uh, that he probably had done something because the guy walked out of a match. Then it turned anti-WWE because Matt and Rebby Hardy and whoever else claimed that WWE was in the wrong and everyone you know, obviously wanted to believe Jeff and Matt and blame WWE because that's what a lot of people like to do. Uh, then he goes over to AEW and things do seem to be going relatively well until I would say, Chris, probably uh, double or nothing where Jeff walked out for their scheduled match and, you know, it looked like he was kind of stumbling, limping, not really himself at that time. They get into the match and he is all over the place messy. He's botching moves. He's slipping on the top rope. Uh, does not look like things are going well. Then he takes a major bump and it looks like maybe he gets concussed uh, during the match or something happens to him. He gets some type of hip injury or whatever during the match. That match is allowed to continue. Jeff is allowed to remain in the match with the Young Bucks. They complete the match. He does hit a number of impressive moves down the stretch, but he is, I mean, there were periods of time in that match where he was laying on the canvas, not doing anything. His boot was completely unzipped. He didn't fix it. It just, he looked like an absolute mess. There was a scheduled match the following Wednesday on Dynamite. They eventually changed it and replaced him in the match. Jeff ended up not competing and just standing alongside his brother. He did that for, I think, two weeks. And then this coming Wednesday, there was a scheduled triple threat tag team championship match on AEW Dynamite between the Hardys, the Young Bucks, and the champions, Jurassic Express. And that match has officially now been pulled from the card. AEW has not made a statement. Uh, Jeff Hardy has not made a statement. And really, I think the only person who has at this point is Matt Hardy, who said right before we taped the show, quote, it was disheartening to hear the news about my brother yesterday. Recovery isn't a linear process. And I'll continue doing whatever I can to help my brother be healthy. Being healthy and well is the most important thing for Jeff, his wife, his children, and our family at this time. So, Chris, I know there's a lot to unpack there, but I felt like I needed to kind of give the full story before you weighed in. And so everyone could understand the complete context of um, what's going on with Jeff Hardy. My take is, look, you know, let's deal with the situation at hand first, and then we can kind of rewind back to what happened previously. But obviously, uh, this was extremely dangerous, careless. Um, you know, we talk all the time in professional sports about athletes who have all of this money. And why do they get DUIs? Um, they can afford Ubers, they can afford limos, you know, they can afford private jets, these people. Uh, Jeff is certainly, you know, maybe he's not a hundred multi-hundred million dollar athlete, but he's certainly in the class where he can afford probably a $20 Uber to get home from wherever he is. Um, you know, I don't exact exactly have the time of day that this arrest happened, but I can tell you from the videos and photos, it's a clear blue sky. So it's not like first thing in the morning, uh, you know, like, like, uh, four or five, 6 AM or anything like that. This is clearly in the morning. And if he said he was taking shots of fireball right before he got behind the wheel, what was he doing immediately before that as well? So, uh, you know, horrible situation. Uh, most important is that no one was injured. Um, Certainly Jeff Hardy, but innocent civilians who are driving on the road with him at that time. 
And this is just another reminder that kind of what Matt said, that sobriety is not a linear process. Like people struggle with addiction in many different ways. I think the most concerning thing with Jeff Hardy is I'm not going to necessarily say that he was enabled here, but it, it certainly seems like that incident with WWE was a turning point that WWE, an organization who has dealt with many similar people and similar incidents in the past, was able to recognize, but the family was not. And someone decided, someone else decided to take advantage of that opportunity, and it very quickly fizzled out. Yeah, look, I mean, look, you just explained a whole heck of a lot there because there's a lot to, to the story. The, the bottom line is Jeff Hardy has not looked, at least on TV, to be quite the same, mm-hmm. especially in that double or nothing match. Now, Matt Hardy, I know, said Jeff got knocked out at some point in the match and doesn't remember any of the match. And I don't think he's been on TV since then. or He hasn't, he hasn't wrestled on TV. He's, hasn't he's walked wrestled out. Since then. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and you you can't help but think back to that double or nothing match. Not only the the match itself, but also him kind of being very weird coming to the ring, which we said at the time in our instant analysis. And yeah, it's mostly just incredibly sad. You said this is his third DUI in ten years, you know, by some statute. It's actually his third since twenty eighteen. You know, that's, that's why that's five years. That that that's that's a that's a real problem. And you know, when he when he was in WWE, they did uh, they've done some documentary type things with the Hardys mm-hmm. about their substance abuse in the past and stuff like that. So it, 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 it was in the storyline with, with Seamus that they're things that they have gone after head on and clearly WWE has taken this seriously. And at the time the WWE let him go and you know, the, the talk about rehab and stuff like that, there were people saying, you know, rehab's not the answer every time there are different ways to go about this. And, you know, we hoped that that was the case with Jeff that, Hey, maybe going, just going to AW. Being back with Matt will just kind of keep things in order for him. And clearly it, it just it didn't it didn't work. At, at some point, things change. And it's really sad and it's really fearful that you worry at some point something terrible is going to happen to him, to somebody else. Uh, we're, we're, we're grateful, given that those blood alcohol numbers, that something worse didn't happen because Jesus. It's astonishing. It honestly is astonishing. Those numbers. Yeah, no, it, it, that that's basically just thank God nothing worse has happened. And, you know, here we go again with Jeff. Just really hope one day things can get taken care of. Chris, I mean, to to blow a, a, a nearly a point three on a breathalyzer. I mean, it that's not a couple shots of fireball and then getting nope. in the car. I mean, mm-hmm. it, like there's people need to understand that's that's a night of heavy drinking. Then getting into a car, getting behind the wheel and driving in broad daylight and endangering you know, I don't know what necessarily road he was on or how busy it was at the time, but hundreds, at least, uh, possibly thousands of, of individuals, you know, one at a time as he passed by them or dr- drove around them or whatever the case. Um, but yes, you know, I, I the one thing I'll kind of come back to here is when WWE released him. And I think we were all kind of devastated by that, right? Because it, for a couple different reasons. One was we didn't want Jeff Hardy released by WWE. We wanted him there, right? We wanted him wrestling. Um, and, but more importantly than that was the crazy incident that led to it. And it always felt to me, I don't know about everyone else. I can only speak for myself that there was something kind of untold in that whole story, uh, between what, what his incident was at the arena, the way WWE reacted to it, 
the way Jeff and the Hardy family reacted to it. I think it just came out a couple of weeks ago. Jeff was asked about it and he said, uh, I had to choose between spending 28 days away from my family or just finding a new job. So I chose to find a new job. I mean, this guy just did did a felony DUI. And I'm not necessarily saying that rehab would have fixed him or prevented this incident from happening either now or in the future. But there's a legitimately good chance he spends far more than 28 days now away from his family coming out of endangering the lives of a ton of people. Um, yep. So so something always smelled to me fishy coming out of that. Um, the way that the Hardys kept kind of delaying telling their side of the story, Matt, like pumping up his social media numbers. I think it was on a Twitch stream and his Twitter account and doing little tongue in cheek videos. And I mean, I don't think Jeff ever publicly said anything particularly negative about WWE, but look, there's a lot to criticize WWE for over the years when it comes to uh, wrestlers abusing substances, particularly opiates back in the day, uh, steroids even further back in the day. But the one thing that WWE has done a very commendable job uh, with, and this is really dating back decades now, a couple decades now at this point, is they will send you to rehab on their own dime. You don't even need to work for them. If you ever stepped foot in WWE and you have any type of substance abuse problem, they will cover it and they will do their best to make sure that you recover, get healthy, whatever the case might be. Now, is some of that protecting their asses? Sure, certainly, especially some people may have developed dependencies while under their employ. And even though people are responsible for themselves, you know, Vince McMahon and, and WWE may feel some level of responsibility for that. But it, that's not, they don't like, they don't only say, hey, if you worked for us for five years and if you had a problem while you were with us, then we'll cover it. It's anyone at any time. And a company that has dealt with that, it, those types of issues, for an extended period of time, recognized something was happening. The other party refused to address it. WWE released them and AEW chose to sign that person. Now, AEW, all they can really do is probably take the word of the Hardy family at that point, whatever Jeff and Matt had to say to them. But it's also a young company. It is a company that has not dealt with issues like this. And I think by very clearly AEW not responding to this. Nothing from Tony Khan, nothing from AEW as a company, no statement on Jeff Hardy's status um, or his arrest or anything. That's surprising. For none of that to have come out yet, it really speaks to the youth of the company, the inexperience of the company. And honestly, the fact that they don't have a wellness policy. And that is something that has been noticeable about that company uh, through its first three years. Now, Look, uh, there's really not much more for us to say. I think the hope is that Jeff, whatever happens, um, is able to serve his time uh, as easily as he possibly can, get the help he needs, recover. And at this point, Chris, I, I don't want to see Jeff back in a professional wrestling ring. And if I do, it is years from now in a Hall of Fame situation and maybe a final run with his brother, whether it's in WWE or AEW, it doesn't really matter. But you yeah. know, if if he's able to recover and stay sober for a couple of years, get his body healthy, and they want to do one more run and end it and get into the Hall of Fame, I mean, maybe hopefully with WWE, um, sure, I'd be okay with that years from now. I don't want to see Jeff Hardy back in the ring anytime soon. And, you know, I think you guys know historically on this podcast, I am not someone who 
says this person should be fired and this person should be this because I don't really like ever rooting for someone to lose their jobs. But in this particular situation, I mean, AEW, if they want to keep paying him, I guess they can do that. He should run out his contract and not wrestle again for the company, in my opinion. I agree. I'll just, as always, hope hope he gets the help he needs and the people around him are safe. That's all I can do at this point. Between the taping of this podcast and its publication, AEW did actually come out with a statement announcing their punishment, or at least the moves they are making following Jeff Hardy's DUI arrest. Hardy has been suspended without pay, and AEW is offering him substance abuse treatment. They are not releasing him at this time. Hardy is supposedly open to treatment this time after not being clearly open to it last time. And AEW is also leaving the door open for a return upon successfully completing treatment and maintaining his sobriety. Okay, so Chris, with that kind of put to bed, at least for now, let's move into what the show is actually about, uh, the the main subject of the show, which is indeed WWE. And I need to say, uh, coming out of Monday night, I am pretty down in the dumps. It was an extremely, extremely poor edition of Raw, probably among the bottom five episodes we've gotten this year. Uh, There were two Money in the Bank qualifying matches and three hours of television. Seven of the nine matches on the show were less than five minutes long. One of those matches didn't even start. Another one ended in another countout, which all of a sudden WWE seems just thrilled to use countout finishes. There was one women's match on the three-hour show. It was one of the short matches. Uh, There was no significant follow-up whatsoever on Judgment Day and this huge angle last week that made headlines that got people excited. There were logic gaps all over the show. That's going to be a theme of this episode, by the way, because there were logic gaps on SmackDown and Raw. But going back to Raw... It felt like I could have learned the names of the two people who qualified, skipped the entire show, and not missed a single thing. That should never be the case when I'm watching a three-hour program. SmackDown, meanwhile, on Friday, I thought it was surprisingly strong. I was very entertained by SmackDown. But it is just stunning to me that Raw was put together this poorly this week. It is completely in the dumps, certainly not helping matters, is its top two faces are out and it doesn't have a champion on the entire brand. And it just, nothing anyone does right now is meaningful. Maybe WWE mailed it in a little bit as they've been known to do because it was against an NBA finals game and they knew they were going to get killed in the ratings. Um, And this show, this Raw on Monday night, you guys might know by the time you listen to the episode, it may have an all-time low rating going against the January 6th stuff, the NBA finals and, and, a show that didn't have anything going for it. It may be the lowest rated episode of all time, but this was so consistently disappointing on Monday night that it was just unacceptable is the best way I can put it. It was brutal. It was such a weirdly paced and structured show as well. Like we're we're about an hour into the show and I look at the clock and I realize it only been an hour. I was like, oh my God, I still have two more hours of this. And honestly, I've not felt that way about Raw in a while. Like they it's generally been okay. Like it hasn't been great, but it's been like okay considering everything. This episode sucked. SmackDown, yeah, was actually pretty good. SmackDown, when it has stakes, is good, but it so infrequently has stakes. You know, you'll get you'll get the tag team unification match. You'll get the riddle number one contender match. And and if you have those, 
it seems like they put an effort into SmackDown to make it a good show. But when you don't have those, then it's just a complete waste of time. Like I said, I don't watch it live anymore. I actually watched it Monday, right before Raw. I fast forward through the commercials and some of the stuff, and I got through the whole thing in an hour. Uh, but it was it was fine. SmackDown was decent. But yeah, Raw was Raw sucked. It just straight up sucked. It straight up sucked. There was basically nothing redeeming about it. The segments and the way they were not just paced, but placed. Uh, the yeah. main event, I, I was shocked that the main event segment was what it was. We'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. They they put a match on this show um, this Monday, AJ Styles against Seth Rollins. They're doing another one, Becky Lynch versus Asuka. And, you know, next next week, they're they're advertising Becky Lynch and Asuka for a week, which is great. They didn't even advertise AJ Styles against Seth Rollins. They just put it on the show. And I'm not saying that giving me a good match is a bad thing, but AJ Styles and Seth Rollins should be something with build. Like I should, I should care about it. It should have major stakes on the line. And instead it was just kind of thrown on there. And it, the whole show uh, from top to bottom was exceptionally strange. And WWE booking in totality right now is exceptionally strange, largely because the singular world heavyweight champion is absent. And that is indeed how we are going to start the main event of this show, which we are going to slide into right now. Because according to multiple reports this week, believe it or not, Chris, Roman Reigns is off of the WWE Money in the Bank premium live event. Multiple reports stated that he will not be competing at the show. This will be the second straight premium live event that he will not compete in. And the third straight since winning the undisputed WWE Universal Championship in which he will not defend the title. We have discussed this topic ad nauseum on this podcast, and yet it keeps coming around. Why? Because it keeps getting pushed off. This is not our fault, okay? I'm not trying to give you guys the same show every week, but WWE made a very clear decision to put both championships on one guy who will now miss two straight pay-per-views, sold out shows, by the way, in Chicago and Las Vegas, and will go 75 days between becoming the undisputed champion, you know, taking both titles. Uh, he already had one, but taking the second one and defending that new championship or those championships. 75 days. Roman Reigns has missed six straight Raws and four straight SmackDowns. Jeez. He has not been on TV at all in a month, and he has not been on Raw in six weeks. Again, he is the undisputed champion. So he is the only champion, the only world champion, and they can't get him on television. Now, he is guaranteed to be on television next week, which is good news, I guess. We will get to that in a little bit. But they took a title match that should have happened at what is still a big show, Money in the Bank, and they're putting it on a middle-of-the-month SmackDown. I just do not understand the reasoning whatsoever. I know Fox demands ratings, and I appreciate WWE trying to put on good TV. But Reigns' first defense of the undisputed title is not going to come at a premium live event that people are paying big money to see that you're asking your viewers to tune into on a Saturday night, you know, special away from your normal shows. But you're going to put it with probably two commercial breaks on a regular SmackDown in 
whatever town. I don't even know where SmackDown is this week. I'll look it up while you talk. This is, it's as unacceptable as the Roman Reigns booking has ever been. Um, I'm glad we're getting the match that we're going to get. We'll talk about that in a moment because we're going to go down what happened on SmackDown and what happened on Raw. But as we've said ad nauseum here, the decision to make him the undisputed champion was awful. Honestly, you could make a case neither title should have been on the line at WrestleMania, but the fact that they put the title on Lesnar just to give it to Reigns was completely unacceptable. I have very pessimistic feelings about what happens after Money in the Bank, and you have a guy who has completely disappeared from WWE television. There were reports that we were discussing not that long ago, Chris, that Reigns was going to miss 10 weeks of you know everything this summer. And then it came out, no, that was exaggerated. It's not really the case. Well, he just missed four completely and he's missed a couple others in the month prior to that. So yeah, it actually does seem like this guy is gonna miss 10 weeks of summer television programming. He's completely off of house shows and we're not gonna see this guy defend his title at a pay-per-view premium live event until SummerSlam. I mean, that's more than a third of the year with this guy not defending his title on a pay-per-view it is completely unacceptable. Look, we don't want to keep talking about this, but it keeps getting worse every, every single week something happens. Think about if you were a fan who booked your travel to Las Vegas for a stadium show, the first stadium show, Money in the Bank. Yep. And you're all excited about it. And then it gets moved to a small arena. And hopefully you got, hopefully you kept your ticket because they sold more than it holds. And now you're not getting a, a World Heavyweight Championship match. So it's just like, this is so... Stupid. Again, like, I know we just said stupid, but like, this is all predictable. We talked about this in February. We did. We called this the whole un- thing. That the unification was only going to be a prop, was going to be such a problem because you wouldn't have it on every show. And now you're not even having it on either show to not have them for four straight weeks. <coughs> Sorry, I'm still dealing with my COVID cough. Uh, got a doctor's appointment later today to finally take care of this. But this is just ridiculous and completely self-inflicted, and it's infuriating, and it's different than Brock Lesnar, because when Brock Very. was a champion and was gone, you didn't talk about him. And sometimes he didn't have both titles, but he was gone. You still have the bloodline. You're talking about Roman Reigns every week. You're just not giving us Roman Reigns. So it feels like if Roman's not there, this show is not important. This town's not important. And to, to now put him on... To put this match on a SmackDown in, instead of your, your premier live event, looks like Fox wants ratings. Well, then don't plan things out this way. It's just like we've ranted about this a million times and it's just it keeps getting dumber and dumber every time. Like it, it honestly gets worse and worse. This is worse than we could have predicted in February and January when when it seemed like when they put the title on Lesnar because and again, like I have to state, state this again. This all started because Roman Reigns got COVID and missed day one. And because he missed day one, they decided, hey, we still need to get Brock Lesnar in a, a title match. And now we're going to give him the title. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to make an undisputed championship at WrestleMania. All this time, they could have stripped reins of one of the titles. They could have made him defend one of them in a certain situation and lost. And had someone cost him a title, maybe RK-Bro cost him the title to someone else. Let's say like Bobby Lashley, for example, mm-hmm. someone that doesn't hurt. Uh, that then continues the storyline that we're now getting which also, by the way, could have resulted in Reigns being out of action. They didn't even write him off television. He just no. isn't there. They're not yeah. even saying on television, uh, giving an explanation. Roman Reigns refuses to come 
uh, because yeah. he has no opponents and he's on vacation with his family. You know what? If he, let's say he is on vacation, I actually I hope he is. If he's he in Aruba, or if he, he, he tweeted something about being at a beach or something. Like yeah, that. but he, he just tweeted it. This is what I'm right. getting to. That's what I'm if, if, if he's in Aruba, show. if he's in Aruba or Jamaica, give this guy a cell phone. Let him tape himself on the beach. Hey guys, yes. look what I'm doing right now. Your tribal chief relaxing in the sun. No one can beat me. Give us something. Like tell the mm-hmm. story. Make it entertaining. The guy just isn't there. You cannot put all of your eggs in one person's basket and then have them completely disappear. And you're it is completely different than Brock Lesnar because Brock Lesnar as champion, we knew what to expect. We knew he wouldn't be there every week and that WWE kind of set him at this tier that was different than everyone else because, and guess what, dude? We still had Roman Reigns on television and Mm -hmm. the entire roster wasn't injured. Everyone's out. (laughs) Like people, people are hurt, but either in kayfabe or reality right now, Randy Orton, Edge, Cody Rhodes, Big E, these guys are gone again for different reasons and different circumstances. But there's there's just no star power right now from the men's nope. side on the no. show. And that's not me d- diminishing people that are really freaking good. Yes, Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. And yes, there's a lot of really talented people on the show. But everyone I just mentioned are the top stars in the company. And WWE, it's like they sold they saw that tickets weren't selling exceptionally well for Money in the Bank. And they just go, you know what? Let's give them a B-level show now. Because Roman Reigns, he can't be competing in an arena. Like, what sense does that make? Why are you having a title match with this guy the same month, basically, two weeks away from a premium live event and not doing it at the premium live event? Right. Like, why? There's no there's no kayfabe explanation as to why you're doing this on SmackDown. None. Zero. It's endlessly frustrating. Roman tweeted two days ago, uh, now I have to leave the private island. Uh, jump on the private yacht, then board the private jet just to smack, smash this idiot on SmackDown. Tribal chief problems. Like, that's that's the only promotion we got. He couldn't even be on SmackDown to react, to to be pissed at Sami Zayn that he has to do. All we got was a tweet. There's, there's, we got, we've got no other reaction. We didn't even get a selfie that he has video. A, that he has a title match on SmackDown. He has to defend the championship for the first time in 75 days. First time in 75 days, he'll be in a title match. And, and the only reaction we've gotten from him is a tweet. Like, come on. Not even a, not even one of those selfie videos. We've seen them. Reigns cuts those videos while he's in his gym at his home talking mad shit. And he's on the bike or he's on the treadmill or whatever he's doing. And he, he's cutting the promo and it comes off great. Well, guess what? If he is on vacation, do that and put it yeah. on SmackDown. Yeah. Put it on social media, then put it on SmackDown. Give us something from this guy. Put it on Raw. Put it on Raw. Put it on every show. Put it on every freaking show. It It is, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It is malpractice the way WWE is booking its main event scene right now. And honestly, forget Money in the Bank at this point. I don't know that it's going to end because I have a very pessimistic take on Money in the Bank that I'm going to share in a moment. I don't think that he's going to give the title up on SummerSlam because I have to believe that is going to be Randy Orton as the opponent. We already know his opponent for, you know, two plus months out now at Clash in the Castle, Drew McIntyre waiting for him, which basically gives away most likely that the titles aren't going to change between now and then. And if he gets past Drew, then they're not having him drop the title until WrestleMania at the earliest. And that is only maybe if he fights Cody Rhodes. If he happens to do the rock match, he ain't dropping the title at WrestleMania either. So, I just don't know where this ends. They took WWE took a storyline 
that you could make a legitimate argument was the best thing going in professional wrestling. Yeah. And they have now turned it into something that is potentially the one of the worst things going in professional wrestling because they extended it way longer than they needed to. But even worse than that, they took the guy and I'm, I'm fine with Roman Reigns getting a sweetheart deal. Good for you. The goal of everyone should be to make more money and work as few days as possible. But if you're WWE and that's what your guy's demanding and you're willing to give it to them, then you need to take at least yeah. one of the championships off them so that your product can be entertaining because right now it's yeah. not. Nope. It's bad. All right. So let's actually discuss what went down regarding the storyline. We kept alluding to it. We're not actually giving you the details. So on SmackDown, we had Riddle against Sami Zayn. And this match had a double stipulation. If Riddle won, he would get an undisputed title match against Roman Reigns next week. If Zayn won, Riddle would be barred from SmackDown. So on the face, this stipulation was fine. However, as is typical with WWE, it was a little bit botched and illogical. For one, it was announced at the start of SmackDown with Pat McAfee literally saying these words, quote, I have no idea how this happened. Well, why the hell not? Why wasn't the audience told how this crazy stipulation came to be? And then secondly, why would Riddle being barred from SmackDown matter at all? Reigns is the undisputed champion. He may not appear on Raw, but he's the champion of Raw, just like he's the champion of SmackDown. So why would the brand Riddle appears on matter when Reigns should be defending the championship against everyone from every brand? That's completely illogical. And the fact that they never chose to explain to us why this stipulation was made. Paul Heyman, Adam Pierce, Sami Zayn doing it on his own, Riddle demanding it, Roman Reigns being okay with it. They never said why this happened. They just made it fact and played it out. Yeah, that was weird. Um, I, I, I like, like you said, I like the stipulation. It just kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't really know what to um, what to expect from it. So strange, strange way to, to start for sure. By the way, I mentioned all the people who were injured. Shout out to Rick Boogs as well. I saw him just tweet a moment ago. So oh, shout out go. to Rick Boogs. Uh, so, okay, Riddle backstage said he thrives under pressure, is motivated by the bloodline injuring Randy Orton. Paul Heyman told Zayn it is the greatest opportunity of his life. Again, they're talking about this match, but no explanation is given as to why it happened. He suggested that Sammy would be in the bloodline officially if he won. As to what would happen if he loses, Heyman just shook his head like Sammy doesn't want to find out. Again, no explanation of why this is happening, who made the match, etc. And it was just strange for a top storyline to have so much effort put into it every single week and no effort going into explaining this key stipulation. But I digress. We'll get to the match. Riddle got pushed off the top rope into the barricade. Later, he barely ran into the ring to make the count at 9.5. Riddle caught Zayn flying with his final flash knee for a 2.9 false finish. Sammy hit Orton's draping DDT. Heyman yelled for a cover, but Sammy did the whole RKO motion only to eat another final flash and a floating bro outside. Riddle hit a power slam and a draping DDT, but Zayn countered an RKO into a blue thunderbomb for an awesome near fall. Zayn countered bro Derek, then hit an exploder suplex into the corner, but Riddle ran up and countered a Huluva kick with an RKO for the clean win in what was an absolute banger of a match. Uh, the Usos immediately attacked after the bell and threw Riddle outside. Riddle came back and beat their asses with a kendo stick, and the crowd went absolutely ballistic for him. Now, I didn't necessarily mind the attack, given that's what you would expect the Usos to do. 
But this match was great. It was pay-per-view caliber with a perfect finish. Riddle is insanely over. He and Cody may well be the top two male babyfaces in WWE right now. Throw in Randy Orton there as well. Uh, Riddle has been positioned to look dominant and super talented for weeks now. And this was just booked perfectly in terms of the match and him getting over Mm -hmm. other than the lack of explanation for the stipulation. I'm sure Reigns is going to be thrilled to actually show up to work next week because of Zayn. So maybe we'll get some angle there. Uh, And lastly, I'll give this match a 4.25 stars and an A. You couldn't ask for more from it. Yeah, it's always a good reminder. It's a good time when Sami Zayn gets to do full on wrestling again. Like we, we he just he doesn't get to do it very often. Mm-hmm. And this was a reminder of how great he is. And yeah, match was a banger. Match was fun. You know, got the results you needed and everything like that. We did a lot of complaining about all the booking and everything that led to this point. But the match itself was great. And everybody involved deserved a lot of credit for that, which you, you kind of knew with, with, with who it was. By the way, SmackDown next week is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So big city, big crowd. At least they're not doing it. I'm not going to name another city and have you guys get mad at me. But a smaller town where um, perhaps like an Omaha, Nebraska, let's say, where um, where people might be, you know, not not be a full crowd, not that great of a show. Uh, the atmosphere should at least be there for this match next week. But again, for them not to do it at Money in the Bank just does not make sense. And the storyline continued on Raw. Uh, Ms. TV opened the show with Paul Heyman interrupting The Miz to do his own introduction. Miz talked about his prior Money in the Bank cash-ins and popped himself. Heyman said he got a stipulation added to Friday's upcoming title match when Riddle interrupted. Heyman put Riddle over for having balls, so Riddle joked about Miz's balls and said everyone underestimates him. Riddle said he didn't care about a stipulation because Reigns would have to kill him to stop him. That got a huge pop. Heyman said he respected Riddle, but he can't beat Reigns. Then he announced the stipulation. If Riddle loses... He can never challenge Reigns for the title again. Then Heyman basically said he was going to announce Riddle's opponent and the Usos music hit. Then the Street Profits came out. And then when we came back from commercial, Riddle wasn't even in the ring. We had a Montez Ford against Jimmy Uso match. So I had zero idea what was happening in that moment. But we'll get to that later. This was a fine segment to open the show. I actually, legitimately not exaggerating, I laughed out loud at the stipulation. Reigns is going to defend the title Friday, as I've already said twice on this show, for the first time since winning it 75 days ago. So the idea that Reigns would be defending it twice, period, let alone twice against one person, is laughable. It's also just completely unnecessary for this to be a stipulation in a first match between a champion and challenger. It remains stunning to me that the Zayn stipulation from SmackDown was still not explained, especially after he lost and Heyman would have the opportunity here to go off on him. And I don't know if Heyman screwed up mentioning Riddle was fighting and not having him in a match right away there. That would have been nonsensical. But this whole thing was just a mess. It was like WWE was trying to explain something that was unexplainable. You know, could they, Chris, potentially do a DQ finish where Reigns beats, sorry, where Riddle beats Reigns and then gets a rematch? at Money in the Bank, I suppose they could do it. And maybe, you know, we're just taking the reports at face value and maybe those reports are wrong. But I got to say, the vast majority of the reporting about what shows Reigns is and is not going to be on, they've been accurate to this point. And the fact that this is happening the way it's happening with that stipulation in that match, it does make me believe that this coming Friday, I think it's going to be a banger. Don't get me wrong, but I think Reigns is going to beat Riddle and that's it. 
Look, I mean, we, we just unified the tag team belts on SmackDown a couple weeks ago, so it's not like SmackDown is a place where they do false finishes to get you to a pay-per-view. So I, I fully believe it's it's real. That opening segment was decent. I get more and more annoyed by the week with the undisputed WWE Universal Champion name. The Miz had to, like, say it really slowly to Ball Heyman so we didn't mess it up. Um, and I actually must have misinterpreted this stipulation when I first heard it. I thought it said Riddle can't challenge for the undisputed WWE Championship again, period. No, as, I, long, it, as, it, as long as Reigns is champion. It wasn't champion. until later in the show when they put up a graphic that I realized it was just Roman Reigns. So that was kind of a letdown because I thought it was a a Cody Rhodes type of stipulation. I was like, that's that's interesting. I was actually really interested in that. <clears throat> and then when I found out it was just about Roman, then I was like, well, okay. Who well, they could have done, so, if, if it was that, couldn't can't challenge for the undisputed WWE Championship, they could have done something pretty smart. And they could have had the championship. Well, they could have had Riddle lose to Reigns, win money in the bank, and then just challenge for the WWE championship. Not both, just challenge yeah. for one of the titles. Like, yeah. you can get, you know, if you want to do something that like that, thought. you can get around it, but they're not doing that. Yeah. Yes. All right. So I mentioned we had Montez Ford against Jimmy Uso. Ford ate a suplex on the ring apron. Then he hit a Insiguri and a Spinebuster for a near fall. He also kicked out of a pop up Samoan drop. Both guys ran into the post. Ford missed a top rope Karana that Jimmy sold anyway. Then Jimmy got knees up on the frog splash for the win. I thought it was a really formulaic match. It wasn't particularly notable. And it's just kind of amazing that the third most important member of the bloodline can't even lose a singles match to a guy in Montez who should actually be getting wins here and there. Like Montez mm-hmm. Ford never wins shit and he gets pinned way too often. Instead of booking this in a way that it could make a little bit of an impact, Montez getting over, them get it, get, getting another reason to have a championship match, this is just completely irrelevant and forgettable. The only thing that wasn't forgettable was that incredible spine buster that uh, Montez Ford delivered. That was a very, very good one. But other than that, yeah, it was just like, I was surprised by the booking at the end. I was like, okay, well, what are we doing here? This was an episode of a lot of stuff not mattering. And this was one of them. Yeah. And then we had Riddle against Champa. Uh, Riddle got his theme remixed. It was away from like the Dr. Dre type of like, you know, South Cal- Southern California you know, hip hop vibes from the early nineties. And it, it just had this weird, like rock remix to it. It was not the Randy Orton remix. I don't know what they did here. It absolutely sucked. Massive downgrade. Uh, Champa dominated early. Riddle hit the power slam and draping DDT, but Champa countered the RKO by grabbing Riddle's toe and slamming it into the canvas. thought that was pretty inventive and cool. Then he hit an exposed running knee for a 2.8, kind of a false finish. Riddle escaped fairy tale ending, hitting a ripcord knee, floating bro and RKO to win in four minutes and 30 seconds. This was just strange. Uh, Riddle's opponent, Champa, was completely unannounced, not early in the show, not during Riddle's entrance. We only knew it was Champa when the bell rang. Miz was on commentary for a completely unknown reason, other than I suppose he's been tangentially involved in segments with Champa recently, and I guess with Heyman earlier in the show. Champa did get put over on commentary. They like were screaming and lauding him. But how do you get over in reality when you lose in four minutes and 30 seconds? On top of that, it looked like Champa's knee may have been seriously injured on the floating bro. Riddle's full weight of his body landed directly onto Champa's right knee. Either that or he sold the hell out of it. This wasn't necessarily bad, but it was a frustrating segment that was emblematic of Raw as a whole. It just felt like things weren't thought through. Um, 
And you have Champa now, who's been on the main roster for a couple months, and they've basically done nothing with him. He hasn't spoken. He has no clear direction. He's attacking people. Sometimes he's winning matches. Other times he's losing matches. Every match he's in is like five minutes long. It's like almost they're just treating him like an extra hand, which is not what Champa should be. So I was very disappointed at that. Obviously, Riddle had to win, and it was nice for Champa to get a singular moment. But imagine if you gave them 12 to 14 minutes and let them both wrestle at full capacity, and then Riddle still won, and Champa looked awesome in defeat. Then Champa gets over, and you have another guy you can do stuff with. So, yeah, I don't even yeah. know where I'm going, but that's all I need to say about this. Yeah, like that that's what AEW would do, is they, they would have John Silver have a competitive match against CM Punk, and it's like, oh, you got to pay attention to this guy moving forward. There was no reason, there was no explanation of Champa. Like, none of this made any sense. I was like, what the hell is going on? Then the match starts, and Champa got, you know, got a knee in there, and stuff. I was like, oh, he actually looks pretty good. Then the match is over before, before you know it, and you're just like, what the hell is going on in the show? Champa has no direction. He's just there, kind of like the male version of Alexa Bliss, just without the past accolades yes. that they can talk about. Yes, true. And because so ultimately, only because they refuse to mention that the guy's a two-time NXT champion. Yeah, and so you're just like, okay, like what? Like just it was just completely weird and, and pointless. So, so we, we, Riddle won. Okay, sure. Like just there's no, there was no. Again, there was the pacing, the structure, everything about the show was completely weird. This is very strange. All right, let's move off of Roman Reigns and the Bloodline. Let's get to Cody Rhodes. Uh, there was an injury update for Cody. WWE aired a pretty big-time video package for Cody and Seth Rollins recounting their feud and the incident last week on Raw. Michael Cole, this was this happened on SmackDown, by the way, then announced that Cody had successful surgery and would be out up to nine months with a torn pectoral. As we've discussed here, that is a complete bullshit number. Uh, six months is usually the maximum for a completely detached pec, so it seems like they probably extended the timeline to do like a John Cena uh, and allow his Royal Rumble return to be just a complete surprise. And that's fine. And that's fine. They better make it a surprise. They better not announce Cody's coming back on a raw and then we get him. No, they'll do a surprise. No, it it seems like when you're, when you go to the length to announce that a pectoral is a nine month injury, it's just not, Um, you're doing that. I mean, I have to believe uh, for specifically for a surprise. Now you you make a good point though, Chris, Uh, if ratings are down massively, right. Due to the NFL, cause that's, don't forget, December, January, you're starting mm-hmm. to get into uh, NFL playoffs. Um, if ratings are down massively, could they potentially bring them back earlier for a pop on a raw and try to gain some some momentum? They could. But I think at this point, um, it's pretty clear that Cody is going to return at the Royal Rumble. I don't know that he's going to win it necessarily, but I think that's pretty clear. I hope so. So I hope, hope, hope everything goes well with Cody. And uh, yeah, re- just real tough after coming back, him being the guy on raw getting to this moment, and then immediately he goes down. It sucks. This really sucks. So the second half of this is obviously of the Cody Rhodes half. You, now you need the Seth Rollins half. Rollins was interviewed about his attack on Cody on Raw. He said his comments to Cody in the ring were actually genuine and honest. He meant everything he said. But Cody is a virus who was becoming a danger to WWE and himself. So Rollins took matters into his own hands and was proud of it, not remorseful at all. He said he wanted to top his greatest moment in WWE, by winning Money in the Bank again, and he said he would beat AJ Styles in a qualifying match because Styles lacks the killer instinct that Rollins possesses. Then he threatened to take out Styles the same way he did Cody. AJ attacked him and knocked him off his chair in the locker room, saying, that's for Cody. Uh, Later, Styles said Rollins is beneath him, and then Rollins dedicated his upcoming victories to Rhodes. So this was a sit-down interview with Kevin Patrick, the Rollins thing that I was just mentioning. 
And it just didn't play to Rollins' strengths. Like it felt manufactured and scripted as opposed to when he's just standing in front of the crowd, getting boos, getting cheers, having people sing his theme. It was a very poor decision creatively to do it this way. And the qualifier stunned me because unless the loser is going to win a second second chance triple threat match uh, that they normally hold, both of them should really be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. So yeah, I just didn't really like this at all. Uh, we'll get to the match in a minute. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, I agree. The interview was not his best spot because he's he's good in front of a crowd. He gets reactions. He gets boos. If you're going to taunt people about injuring Cody Rhodes, do that in front of the fans that like Cody Rhodes. Like, I don't not like the idea of a sit down interview. I just don't think that was the place to do it. AJ um, coming in to beat up Seth. Uh, I like that. It came out of nowhere. And it, it, it was a situation where it told me like, oh, like they're upset that Seth hurt somebody. AJ sticking up for kind of a friend, sticking up for a good guy. It was part of that, like kind of crossover, like, hey, this is real life type of thing. So I appreciate that. It, it came out of nowhere. I didn't expect the match to happen like that. So it was a mix of good and bad there. So let's get to the Money in the Bank qualifiers. And before we talk about Rollins Styles, which is the first one we'll hit, I just want to talk about it in general. So while Raw last week basically skipped over Money in the Bank, other than brief mentions by Cody and The Miz, WWE did a hard sell of Money in the Bank on SmackDown. Cole explained the rules and the benefits of Money in the Bank literally three times in the first nine minutes of the show. They also clarified the murkiness from that original Cody Rhodes video package, though as I said at the time, the rules of Money in the Bank are staying the same, which is good. It's not... For a WrestleMania match, it's literally just the same as it's always been. What WWE is also doing that I noticed is they are hammering home the 85% cash-in success rate. Mm -hmm. And it sure feels to me, Chris, like the reason they are doing that is not to indicate to the audience, hey, this is an important show. The person who wins the briefcase is going to be important. But because whoever wins the briefcase is going to lose to Roman Reigns, and they are just going to put that over as another accolade that 85% of cash-ins are successful, but Roman Reigns was even able to overcome that. Now, maybe that's just me being a pessimist, okay? And, And I accept that if that's the case, because clearly I'm pessimistic about this Roman Reigns angle. But when I heard them say it as many times as they did on both SmackDown and Raw, that was the only thing that I had in my head. Well, now that Cody Rhodes is out, I don't, we know that Drew McIntyre has a title match at Clash of the Castle. Money in the Bank just feels kind of out of place right now because there's no one where like, oh man, I, they're going to get it and they're going to cash in on Roman and it's going to be great. It's like, is it going to be a heel Seth? Like, it, it's just like the whole title picture is a mess as we already laid out. So it kind of trickles down to the Money in the Bank spot being a little bit weird too. And as you lay it out like that, like, hey, typically Cashins win. Roman's going to beat a Cashin to, 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 to retain. That does feel like a real possibility now when you lay it out like that. Yeah. So again, maybe it's me being a pessimist and maybe they'll prove me wrong. You know, it's always possible. But right now, uh, whatever was, what day is it? June 14th. My prediction is whoever wins Money in the Bank fails to cash in on Roman Reigns. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is Rollins. Maybe they do exactly what they did. Uh, with the heist of the century. They do it again at WrestleMania where Cody Rhodes fights Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship and either one of them win 
And Rollins comes in at the end and cashes in and becomes the champion. And it's a huge storyline and we're loving it and we're losing our minds. Or maybe whoever wins Money in the Bank just fails to cash in in like October or something like that. Or even, you know, it does yeah. even at SummerSlam or Clash of the Castle. Yeah, it does create kind of some drama around who will win. I mean, outside of Seth, I really kind of have no idea. So, Yeah, I mean, unless Riddle gets in there. But again, then there's the stipulation now to consider. And you're like, well, how does that stipulation play in if the guy wins the money in the bank briefcase? Yeah, this is so the we'll, whole thing's a mess. It's a, it's a total explained. it's a total effing mess right now. All right, let's get to these qualifiers. First, Raw, uh, we had Rollins against Styles. We're only doing it first because we just are coming out of talking about it. Styles hit the phenomenal forearm outside. Rollins put Styles over the announce table with the Tope Suicida. Styles hit a seated face buster, but there was a botch on the pin. Styles countered the stomp into the calf crusher, but Rollins used a rope break. Styles countered a buckle bomb into a corner suplex with another messy fall. Corey Graves, by the way, did a really good job of covering the mistakes live. Mm -hmm. Rollins dodged a phenomenal forearm and took out Styles' knee. Styles countered the pedigree into an over-the-knee backbreaker for a near fall. Rollins met Styles on the top rope, but Styles escaped a superplex only for Rollins to catch him with a full ring buckle bomb. Styles dodged a frog splash and production completely missed it with the wrong angle camera. Rollins then escaped the Styles clash and locked Styles in a pinning combination for the win in 15 minutes. This was just a strange booking for a Money in the Bank qualifier. It's a match that should have far bigger stakes or be in a far more prominent position. At a minimum, it should be promoted for an entire week as a huge match that you need to see. The fans gave this to this is awesome chance and the match definitely had his moments. Don't get me wrong. But to me, it was just far below what their ceiling together is in terms of an in-ring opportunity. Maybe that was done on purpose. But even the couple of miscues uh, in the match, completely took me out of it. Rollins had to win, so he was the right person to win. Styles got caught, so he, he wasn't hurt that much by the loss. But this is also a guy who's just been beaten down in this feud with the Edge and Judgment Day, and you have him lose again now to a completely different person. This was ultimately the right booking, the way they did it. I went 3.75 stars on a B plus. Hopefully, Styles wins the second chance triple threat, unless he's going to go one-on-one with Finn Balor at Money in the Bank though that match could be saved for SummerSlam, but that's definitely a match that we need to get at this point. So yeah, uh, it was fine. Rollins, I'm glad he's in Money in the Bank, but that's really my only takeaway. Yeah, my takeaway was like AJ Styles just kind of flailing right now and has been for a while, and this is freaking AJ Styles, the guy you had on the video game cover a couple years ago. Champion, world champion, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he'll probably end up in a Judgment Day feud for money in the bank or summertime or something but like to not acknowledge that to him not say anything to him not be like i got this judgment day stuff i gotta figure out has he talked to finn balor in the past week like we don't we didn't get a resolution on the other end of that either he just moves on we 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 haven't seen him in a couple weeks and he just i don't know it was i would have liked some more explanation because right now Edge styles as a character is just completely flailing out there and yep. I, and that's not really his fault it's the booking fault Completely agree. So the other men's qualifier this week was on SmackDown. It was Drew McIntyre against Sheamus. Butch was in gorilla position, so McIntyre threw him into Sheamus. He tried to interfere a few minutes in, distracting McIntyre and letting Sheamus hit an Irish curse on the apron. McIntyre hit a couple toss belly to bellies and a spine buster with a jackknife cover for a near fall. Sheamus used Drew's Future Shock DDT for a near fall. McIntyre came back with an avalanche white noise for a tremendous 2.9 false finish. Sheamus countered Claymore with a running knee for a 2.8. McIntyre countered the bro kick into a powerbomb with another jackknife near fall. 
Butch then entered and ate a Claymore. Sheamus hit a flying clothesline on Drew outside. They fought into the timekeeper's area and did a, du- a duel, like, you know, uh, like, like you do a swords, but with chairs. Uh, and they got hit with a double countout that was ruled a double disqualification. I mean, they were outside of the ring forever, so I thought it was a countout, but whatever. McIntyre then drove Sheamus over the announce table. They brawled at ringside through the commercial. A ton of officials and agents tried to separate them. Drew drove bitch off. I mean, Butch off his back uh, to ringside. Uh, they brawled into the crowd and then got separated. Later backstage, McIntyre told Adam Pierce three times to put him in the match. Sheamus said the same thing, and Pierce told them he had a lot to process. The first thing I need to say here is the overuse of the timekeeper's area, countouts, and double disqualifications recently has been absolutely absurd. Like, it is to such a degree that it's clear there was almost a mandate to do more finishes like this. And it comes out of nowhere out of a period of time where WWE was doing a lot of clean finishes, even if they were roll-ups or whatever, they weren't doing disqualifications and countouts. All of a sudden, it seems like everything is a disqualification or a countout. But despite all of that, this was easily the best version of any of those finishes. This match was an absolute banger. And it was straight up pure. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, this was awesome. It just was. Uh, the segment got 18 minutes. The wrestling was tremendous. The entertainment was top tier. But we neither got a clean finish nor an actual qualifier in a qualifying match. So the highest I can go is four stars in an A minus. But this was on its way to being like a 4.5 star A match. They just didn't complete the process. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. They could just put them both in Money in the Bank. And honestly, that might be preferable considering there's almost no one on the SmackDown side to add to the match. I mean, Ricochet can be in there, a couple other people maybe. Uh, But it feels like they may just throw both of them in it. Uh, If they do that, I'm fine with it. If they have them do a rematch, no holds barred, false count anywhere with the winner getting into Money in the Bank, I would also be fine with that as well. So whatever it was, this was super entertaining. One of the best TV matches we've had in quite some time. Look, first off, I am glad that I can talk about something Sheamus did and we did not get another Brutes versus New Day segment on SmackDown. That, that, that well, little... this was kind of that, though. Kind of, but it, Drew's but part not... of Drew Day. You know, it's kind but of Drew. But but they were again, I, I watched SmackDown and DVR, the New Day was not on this episode. They were right? not. It was, but it's tangentially yeah. related. It is tangentially it's, related. It, it, I didn't take it that way. I took it as like the long Seamus McIntyre history that we know and have, and that these guys are friends who love to beat the shit out of each other. And that's what they did here. Like, this was an awesome match. This is one where you could just watch these guys go back and forth because they really do beat the shit out of each other in, in this type of stuff. Really good. So they do the whatever finish and go to commercial. And Cole's like, who won the match? And they go to commercial. And like WWE does that kind of thing to create drama. But I wish it had been, who won the match? We got we got to take a break. We'll be right back to, to figure out what happened here. Like, like, just like, as opposed to like creating like TV drama, of like, mm-hmm. boom, big thing happens, go to commercial. WWE does this all the time because they think they're like a scripted TV drama when they're not. They're like sports. You wouldn't go to commercial in that moment. 
little thing. I like that Curtis Axel is basically a regular contributor to the show. Now. He's basically out. <laughs> yeah. He's basically out there every week now, breaking up, uh, uh, pull aparts. So that's good to see him. I I don't know what happens next. I'm trying to hold off my cough here, so that's why I sound kind of weird. But uh, this was this was definitely good. I, I guess I didn't realize if we're in good, bad, and the ugly or whatever now. But no, we're not. This was th- this not. was this was great. Loved it. Love these two together. Oh, okay, so we had two men's qualifying matches, yet we have one men's qualifier. So let's go over to the women's side of things. On SmackDown, we had Lacey Evans against Zia Lee. Lacey said backstage, the Money in the Bank contract changes lives, and she uh, then debuted a second catchphrase, wake up, work, and win. And then she did the better than line that I'm not going to repeat. It sure sounds to me like they are trying to make Lacey Evans a female mix between like John Cena and Kurt Angle wrapped in an American flag. I got to tell you, it's a bit off-putting for me. Um, yes, but I, 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 I took it as just like, of course they're doing this. I like, I was not like, I was just like, duh, of course this is how they're doing it. I, I that was my initial reaction. I'm just like, not surprised as opposed to having a stronger reaction, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I just hope that if this is the direction they go, that the crowd treats her like they did Kurt Angle with the intensity, integrity, and intelligence and turns a character that's trying to be good and makes them a heel. You know what I mean? Like, because they're goody two-shoes. Yeah. They, they revolt against we, it. That's that, what I hope they that, do with Lacey here. I really do. That's what we thought, but they but they would never, WWE as an organization would never do that with a military-themed character. As I'm saying this- Kurt I'm Angle was an Olympian. I'm, I'm remembering- Olympian is different than the military, and I'm thinking of Sergeant. Sla- I'm thinking of Sergeant Slaughter immediately as I said this. I know, <laughs> but it's a different. T- but it's a different time now, and you know, look, we don't know what the hell they were doing with Lacey. They did the videos. They did the. Maybe it was heel. Maybe not. Went to Raw. Back to SmackDown. I think they're back to their original plan, which is Lacey's a sympathetic character who's in the military cheer for that. Given that weird SmackDown intro that time, I don't know if that was the original. I don't even know what the original plan was anymore. Regardless, let's move on. Uh, Zia Lee came out to her baller entrance. It's unfortunate that we've only seen it three times in an entire yeah. year, yeah. Uh, but it is a great entrance and I love seeing yeah. her like that. Uh, she said in a tape promo that Evans is a whiner, not a winner, and she'll make her feel shame. The Baton Rouge fans, I guess, somewhat disrespectfully chanted LSU after the bell. Uh, Lacey kept falling out of her top, which was only distracting because she kept having to fix it, just like Ronda Rousey, how she always fixes her shorts or how she used to. This yeah. was back and forth. Lacey hit the women's right and won in two minutes and 30 seconds in her return match. All this time away and a refreshed gimmick, and we're still doing the women's right. I don't mind it as part of her arsenal. It's a totally fine move, but it's disappointing at, that they couldn't have come up with a more exciting finisher for Lacey Evans. And this match was absurd lengthwise. Two minutes and 30 seconds. I don't care that Zia Lee is on the low card. For the men to get an 18-minute segment and this to get one-ninth of that is just ridiculous. Let the women wrestle. Lacey obviously had to qualify. It's not a surprise that she beat Zaya, but this was just not well done. Um, I, th- I I thought it was fine for what they were trying to accomplish. I would have liked for it to be to get more time but it was, hey, Lacey comes back. She looks dominant in a win going into Money in the Bank. I get it. Also, I'm sorry, but Women's Right is an incredible name for a finisher. It is. So. Great name. It's great. It's name. so good. Like, it's just, it's, it's perfect. And so I understand keeping it 
commentary put it over huge when when she hit it. So like I, I get it. I thought this was fine. Like I could see what they were going for, and I think they accomplished it kind of. I just would like to see a lot more of it. There's just no reason for it not to be a like her to hit that move, daze someone, and then hit a real finisher after that. Like it, mm. it's a perfect setup move, and they just refuse to do it. Um, like when big, even when Big Show did the KO punch, I hated it. But I hated least, it because he because he was actually like pulling his punches so obviously. It looked shitty. Yeah, it looked, Lacey's look actually good. looked pretty good. It it does, but again, it's just it's a punch. Like Alexa Bliss does the punch. Sometimes it's a finisher. Sometimes it's a setup. Let's get to talking about Alexa Bliss right now. Uh, on Raw, we also had a women's qualifier, but it was a tag team match. Liv Morgan and Alexa Bliss against Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. Was this a rematch from last week? Uh, Google it. Google it while I, while I talk about it. I don't know. It. This felt like it was a rematch from last week. Uh, Liv showed out on her hot tag. The heels combined for an ele- elevated inverted DDT. Dewdrop slammed Liv outside but missed a running senton. And then Bliss hit Nikki with the KO punch and DDT to win in four minutes and 20 seconds. The tag team qualifying stuff is and always has been extremely stupid to me, especially when two of the women in the match were prior Money in the Bank winners. It's an individual prize. You have three weeks of shows left and four spots to fill on each side. Although I will note the graphics only have seven uh, heads, but still generally four spots to fill on each side. You can easily fit three matches in a triple threat into that many episodes, especially when your first two women's qualifiers totaled seven minutes. Again, both men's qualifiers were like each 15 to 18 minutes. The two women's ones totaled seven minutes. That should be the minimum length of a single match. This was just as disappointing as the SmackDown match, despite the right winners emerging in both of them. And it was the only women's match on a three-hour edition of Raw. I could not find a positive thing to say about it. No. Um, last week was the the four-way, the fatal four-way where Ripley beat Alexa, Liv, and Dewdrop. So Got it. They okay. were they were in it kind of, but but different match. It's a different match. Different match. Yeah. So That's fine. yeah, this was like whatever. Again, it, 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 it this match was kind of like the whole Alexa Bliss character, which is just like not going to explain that much. We're just going to do it and we'll figure it out eventually down the road. And so like, cool, lives in the money in the bank. That's good. And Alexa that's great. Bank, that's good. But like, yes. there's no there's no reason for any of this stuff ha- happening. Like, like, why is this one a tag team match? Like, just like there's no I, I don't know. And the length of the match, again, is a problem. Your point that this is the only one on the, on the, on the show. Truly, truly a, Four a problem after coming after, you know, a, a stretch where we've talked about how WWE women's wrestling is like, and even without Sasha, Naomi and Charlotte right now feels like it's at such an elite level. Yeah. And then this week just absolutely trashed over all of it. This also kind of told me, Chris, like, look, I mean, I've been saying it. I said it last year uh, and I've been saying it already for a couple of weeks this year. Liv Morgan should be the person to win money in the bank. It's very easy and very obvious. But if you're going to make her win money in the bank, if you're going to have her win that match, you don't have her qualify in a tag team match. Because you want her yeah, to get over exactly. and you want her to have these individual single moments where she's the winner and she's in the spotlight. And we've seen plenty of Liv in the spotlight. You can make an argument that Liv Morgan was the MVP of the entire Judgment Day, uh, AJ Styles, Finn Balor and her feud. I mean, she she was the star in the pay-per-view match. There's not even a question about it. And she continues to get better and better and better in the ring. So yes, she should be the one to win Money in the Bank. She has 
a shit ton of momentum behind her. The fans absolutely love her. But guess what? She qualified in a tag team match and she didn't even factor into the finish. You know who won a singles match? Lacey Evans. You know who just returned? Lacey Evans. You want to talk about pessimism? I'm very pessimistic that Lacey Evans is going to win Money in the Bank. I think that's very possible. I think it's very possible. Okay, so that is our extended main event, maybe the longest main event in the history, or one of the longest main events in the history. Definitely, I think it's of got this me. show. <laughs> uh, let us now move into the second segment here: the good, the bad, and the ugly. We actually still have a lot to talk about, but we'll try to do it lightning round style. Let's get through it as quickly as we can. Uh, Ronda Rousey on SmackDown said she can't wait to show Natalia her armbar is superior to the sharpshooter that she stole from Bret Hart. Shotzi told Rousey to shut up, saying she had aggression and a killer instinct. By the way, the two killer instinct uh, themes on both shows. She said Rousey should have no problem fighting her if she lived up to her reputation. Rousey accepted, and it became a championship contenders match. Rousey against Shotzi. Shotzi was submitting Rousey on the ropes when Ronda countered it into an ankle lock over the top rope. Shotzi hit a fantastic tornado DDT crawling off the ring apron for a 2.5. Rousey sold it perfectly. There was a Rousey chant. Shotzi got a great heel kick for a near fall, plus a butterfly lock for a near submission. Uh, Rousey rolled through it. Shotzi hit two snap suplexes. Rousey grabbed her ankle on a kick. Shotzi slapped her twice. Then Rousey hit a really cool looking fisherman suplex style slam and Piper's pit plus an arm bar for the submission win in eight minutes. Natalia attacked immediately after the bell, AEW style, locking in the sharpshooter with Rousey screaming, but not tapping. There was a gimmicked serious injury, quote unquote, for Rousey, putting her money in the bank status in doubt. See, this is the purpose of a championship contenders match. Mm -hmm. Someone who has no claim to a title match, getting the opportunity to fight for one and then losing to the champion clean. Also, Shotzi dominated Rousey for most of this match, which hopefully got her over some. That's twice now that Rousey has taken a ton of punishment to get a younger talent over. First, Raquel Rodriguez, and now Shotzi. Big credit to Rousey for that. The immediate Natalia attack, it did negate some of the focus on Shotzi, which was unfortunate, but it was a really strong attack by Natalia to build a premium live event title match. One other thing, I was impressed with Rousey selling here. This was an easy, easy call as good. I, I very much enjoyed this. Definitely a good for, for, for the booking, the match itself. Look, th this was just like the the Raquel Gonzalez uh, match from a few weeks ago that we praised up and down. Like, this is exactly how you use Ronda. This is how you use new people. You can help people in a loss. And that's what they did here, I think. And, and Shotzi, Shotzi, they built to this for a couple of weeks. Shotzi had been involved in several mm -hmm. things around this picture. So she wanted to take that open challenge that Raquel took a while back. So it all made sense. Definitely a good. The only thing um <clears throat> had a problem with was that Rhonda again began her promo like she's in the middle of a conversation. She's not getting any better on the mic. She's just like just starts talking. There's no emphasis on words. It's just like like if, if you miss the beginning, all of a sudden you feel like you missed it because it's just it feels like she's in the middle of a conversation when she starts talking. I did think title Shotsky was very funny though. Great line. Yeah, I, I, the promo, it, it was both good and bad. Like there were positives of it. She enunciated and she was louder. But you're right. It's, she starts talking like she's in the middle of a conversation. 
And some of the those Shotzi, Otzi, whatever things, they did feel a little bit forced to me. But I, I, I kind of I liked them. I, I, I just I overlooked them. it because there was so much positive here that I didn't you know necessarily want to focus on what I thought was maybe a small negative. Um, the only thing that I really had a problem with is I'm not a fan of them doing an injury angle, suggesting Rousey may not be at Money in the Bank when Reigns and Rhodes are already going to miss the show. Like, why cast any doubt that one of your few remaining top stars who's going to be in a title match may not be on the show. Now, this could potentially set up an excuse for the women's briefcase winner to cash it in and beat her. They sell she has an injury, she overcomes it, beats Natalia, but gets cashed in upon and loses. If they do Raquel Gonzalez in that spot, or sorry, Raquel Rodriguez in that spot, or they do Lacey Evans in that spot, that could be relatively believable. But you guys know my mantra when it comes to Money in the Bank, I will repeat it numerous times between now and the premium live event. The Money in the Bank briefcases should not be cashed in right away. They should. Yes. There should be multiple teases over multiple months with the eventual cash-ins being a surprise that comes out of nowhere. So allow this to be the first time I get to say that on this road to Money in the Bank. But I just, for that reason, I didn't really love like the injury angle with Rousey, unless they're doing it for that particular reason to take the title off of her. Could be. I, I don't like the can she show. I, I like how can she possibly compete? Nat and Natalia's going to have an advantage. Or maybe because Cody is actually injured, they want to lean into that and kind of make you like, oh, maybe Ronda and Cody, same same thing, even though it's not. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Over on Raw, Bianca Belair was interviewed by Kevin Patrick, saying she's excited to face Rhea Ripley again because they're the next wave of top women in WWE. She said she didn't recognize this version of Ripley. Belair said she'll prove that she talks the talk and walks the walk. Ripley then appeared on screen saying all Belair is is talk. Finn Balor and Damian Priest expanded that Edge sealed his own fate by telling them not to do as they were told, but then trying to be their leader and have them do what he said. So they explained that they are all equals. Ripley said the EST gimmick is Belair trying to convince herself that she's great. Then she revealed that she had her teeth knocked out at Hell in a Cell or on Raw last week, I forget which but loved it. And you could see she was legitimately wearing braces. So yes, her teeth really did get knocked out of her mouth. Ripley promised to eradicate Belair and become women's champion for the second time. There was nothing particularly wrong with this. I want to get that out of the way. But as with Rollins earlier, it was so strange to randomly have Belair getting interviewed in the ring when she holds her own. I don't think, if memory serves, there was a single solo in-ring promo the entire show. You had Ms. TV, you had two Kevin Patrick interviews, one backstage, one in the ring. You had Theory talking along with Adam Pierce and Bobby Lashley that we'll get to later. I don't think there was a situation where someone cut a promo. And again, it feels like one of those weird WWE edicts where they suddenly decide, hey, you know what? We're not going to have matches that take place during commercials. So we're going to do a bunch of two out of three falls, disqualifications, restarts. It just felt like that on Raw for no good reason whatsoever. Like they were testing something. So... Yeah. That was all strange and very weird to me. Uh, it was also odd to do this huge Judgment Day angle last week and then have them cut a promo on the Titantron just for the Bel Air feud in the third hour of the show. Balor mm-hmm. not being the leader of the group, it's also a dumbfounding choice because he should be the leader. But I will say their explanation of why Edge got ousted and why they are what they are now, it did make sense. So I do have to give them credit for that. I'm going to say this was good because it wasn't actually bad, but it could have been so much better. They should have confronted her in the ring, ganged up on her, beat her down. They could have had the Street Profits come out and make a save and create a feud 
with Judgment Day. There's a million things they could have done. Instead, it felt flat, but I will say it was good. I'm giving it a bad relative to what you just said, uh, as in it's so hot coming off of last week. The bar is really high, and they did not even get close to, to that bar. The, the the point about the in-ring interview, I, I kind of like the 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 backstage interview, the sit-down interview. I don't mind doing that. <clears throat> I like the idea, but Bianca is not the person probably to do it. Look, Bianca's okay on the mic. She's not great. And so maybe they thought it would, it would that would make it easier. It clearly did not. It, it, she, she tripped over herself a lot more than she normally would. But I, I say this every single time with Bianca, the, the, the way to get her over more than any other way is to just make her kick ass and look great. Like you could have had her beat up somebody in a short match, grab the mic and say, you know, Rhea Ripley, I'm coming for you something. And then Rhea pops up on the Titan trying to do something like that. Like you know, it, it was, it was a weird, it was weirdly structured. And yeah, it was, it was promos fine, but it was a real letdown from the judgment day after what they did last week. And there's no other way to, to, to put it than that. For sure. Uh, so let's stay with, or let's go back to SmackDown. I should say we had an intercontinental championship ricochet versus Gunther. There was a normal big introduction for Gunther and a really well done, I thought, tale of the tape showing the massive size differential between both guys. Cole put over Ricochet really strong as he has the entire reign to his credit. Gunther's first smack was so hard it turned Rick inside out. Then he bent Rick over the top rope with a foot on his jaw. Gunther straight leapfrogged Rick and booted him in the face. But Rick countered a powerbomb into a code red for a near fall. Ricochet flipped out of a German suplex before being turned inside out with a huge lariat for another near fall. There was another LSU chant for no reason whatsoever. Rick super kicked Ludwig Kaiser outside, but Gunther dodged a springboard only to eat a springboard moonsault plus a standing shooting star press for another near fall. Gunther rolled away from a 540 or a 630 or whatever the hell. I don't I don't know which number it is. Uh, Rick then hit a rolling drop kick, but Gunther came back with a missile drop kick that sent Rick flying into a somersault plus a powerbomb for the clean one, two, three in eight minutes and 30 seconds as Gunther became the Intercontinental Championship. He then got some heat celebrating, but it wasn't that much heat. I went 3.75 stars, B-plus for the match. There's positives and negatives here. First of all, the match was a banger, but we only got like six minutes of live action without the commercials. And while Ricochet was put over as a top-tier competitor, even in the defeat here, and that is extremely important to do it, as I've mentioned, this ended one of the worst Intercontinental title reigns ever. Uh, Ricochet made Gunther look like the dominant main event level star that he always has been. Why we couldn't get three or four more minutes for this match, that's really frustrating. Overall, this was good, and Gunther as Intercontinental Champion is a great decision, even if it did come at Ricochet's expense. Hopefully, he can truly elevate this title again, especially given Reigns apparently has no desire to be on television anymore. This did what it was supposed to do, which was make Gunther look dominant, win the Intercontinental Championship. So it, it did that. So definitely a good for what this was. I am skeptical or pessimistic that Gunther will be able to elevate the title, um, but that's by no fault of his own. I just, there's not a deep roster here, especially on SmackDown. You don't have Roman Reigns around. You have Drew McIntyre focusing on that. You've got the money in the bank stuff going on for the next few weeks. There's nobody for Gunther to really do anything with to 
to look good. Mm-hmm. You, you, you elevate that title, no matter who it's on, by beating top contenders who are fighting for that, for that championship. It's the same thing with the U.S. title on Raw. You can give it to an up-and-comer or someone you have high hopes for down the road, but if they don't beat your top guys as that champion, right. then it doesn't mean anything. And I just, I, I, you know, we'll see where it goes with Gunther. I, I think he should have a long reign. You know, not the UK title long reign, but mm-hmm. a, a very long reign. Um, I'm just not sure if there are pieces in place to be able to do it. So we'll see. But well, this that, was definitely good for what it was. That is the tough thing to your point. Like, so, you know, there could be a feud with Shinsuke. Um, Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, individual singles feuds. These are all faces that he could go against. He could have another match with Ricochet, certainly. But other that's going to elevate the title. No, to, to, that, to that's the problem. Level. Other than that. You know, the people who would really help elevate the title would be Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Sheamus is a heel and Drew McIntyre probably isn't going to win, but they also can't have him lose because, you know, they can't feed him to to Walter, Mm -hmm. to Gunther, because uh, they need him to be fresh and top tier for the Roman Reigns feud. So, yeah, there's just not really the talent on the roster for that title to be legitimately elevated because there's not enough big time baby faces for him to go against. But they could also just do it where he fights a lot of people and beats them all. And if they do that, it's very possible um, for the title to be elevated, just to have him be that dominant of a champion. And then maybe if Drew doesn't beat Reigns, maybe Drew McIntyre is the one to beat Gunther and take the Intercontinental title off of him. So there are ways they can go. I'm not pessimistic about it yet, but you're right in that it it takes more to build a title than just putting it on someone who's important. They Mm -hmm. need to beat important people. That is very accurate. Back to Raw, uh, we had a 24-7 championship match scheduled. Dana Brooke against Becky Lynch again. Uh, Becky attacked before the bell and got face chance. She threw Dana into the barricade and then used the announce table. Then Lynch grabbed the mic, saying Brooke could keep her little title. Becky ranted about being disrespected and said she wants to climb out of her hole of despair and win money in the bank. She said she got cheated last time and went to attack Dana again when Oscar ran down, slammed her head into the apron, and stood tall after a German suplex. This is exactly what should have happened last week. It made for a good segment this week, but if it had been done last week where Becky flipped her shit and went nuts at ringside and beat the hell out of Dana, we could have been further down the road here. My hope was they would now save Becky Lynch and Asuka either as a singles match for Money in the Bank or SummerSlam. But instead, they're going to be doing a Money in the Bank qualifying match between the two next week. Again, People who should not be fighting to qualify. They should both be qualifying against other opponents and then continuing their feud inside Money in the Bank. Hopefully it's not the end of the feud because I'm going to lose my shit if this thing finishes without a singles match between them for a non-title situation at a major show. But there was also a huge lack of logic here because Dana got her ass absolutely kicked by Becky and none of the 24-7 morons ran out to take the title from her. The bell never rang, so the rules weren't suspended. I mean, you know I hate the 24-7 stuff, but it is illogical not to have someone take the title off of her here. R-Truth, Akira Tozawa, Tamina, anybody could have done it. It, A referee could have done it. The timekeeper could have done it. Jimmy Smith could have taken the title off of her. They could have done a million funny things or interesting things, and they just didn't do it. So this was not great by any means, but it also wasn't bad, I'm saying good. Oh, that surprises me. I was definitely giving it a, a bad. This was just like... It was her losing just, her mind, which is what I wanted them to do last week. So they did exactly what I wanted them to do. 
but it but it but it, it wasn't a, she should have done it last week i, I know just, it, i know it I'm giving this a bad just because the whole thing fell down. I didn't know if the match had started or not. I didn't know if the match had ended or not. She starts talking. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then they just announce on Twitter while we're recording here that it's going to be a money in the bank qualifier for next week. So we didn't even get the like promotion. They announced it off last of night. That. They announced Did it Monday night. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I missed it. My bad. Um, so I just, yeah. And like we, we thought, oh, we're going to get these two at money in the bank. Like, like it just, Again, as part of a show that had major logic gaps, it just kind of had a lot of strange structure and pacing. This was this was one of the first matches of the second match of the show, I think, or something like that. It was hmm. or middle of the show. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was um, I just came out of it bewildered at what I had just watched. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm giving it a bad. OK, uh, the main event of Raw was a pose down between Theory and Bobby Lashley Theory backstage said he'd prove Lashley isn't deserving of a title opportunity and that he's the best investment Mr. McMahon has ever made. He also threw out John Cena's name, noting that he would surpass all of his career achievements. This was the main event with Adam Pearce hosting for some reason. Theory wore like a TED Talk microphone headset so he could talk trash while he posed. He did all the moves. He was clearly full of himself. Lashley said he's going to embarrass him in the pose down and then take the United States Championship. Look, I'd take Theory's physique in half a second. But Lashley absolutely murdered him in the pose down. Uh, Pierce tried to pull the crowd. Theory then decided to take over and do it himself. Pierce declared Lashley the winner. Uh, Theory blinded Lashley with baby oil and hit a picture-perfect dropkick to knock him out of the ring and end the show with selfies. Look, WWE does stuff like this all the time. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're terrible. Sometimes they just happen. This is one that just happened. Theory got some heat. He got a little bit of payback. It's going to do big numbers on YouTube, I bet. My only problem was they had Pierce in the ring and he easily could have just announced a title match for next week or for Money in the Bank and he didn't do anything. Why is this guy still the authority if he can't figure out what to do with McIntyre and Sheamus? He can't figure out what to do with Theory and Lashley and he can't figure out what to do with Becky Lynch, Asuka and Dana Brooke. This guy needs to start making decisions again. That is where we liked Adam Pierce when he was making decisions. I'm, this is going to surprise all of you. I'm going to say it was good only because it wasn't bad, but it was not anything better than minorly good. It did not belong in the main event. And the storyline between Lashley and Theory, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Theory should be running away and hiding from Bobby Lashley. I guess the fact that he's confident is a good thing. And if WWE's goal is to put these mid-card titles on Gunther and Lashley as a means of elevating them, with Roman Reigns not showing up on television, then that is a good decision ultimately. But it's almost like shit or get off the pot at this point. And if this ends with Theory beating Lashley, I am just going to be absolutely stuck. Yeah, my biggest, this was fine. I give it a low good. It wasn't a main event. It's a low good, very low. It it has the second most views of anything from Raw on YouTube behind the the opening segment. Um, So it, it was fine, but like, there were no, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I may have missed it, but were there any stake? There were no stakes to this, right? No stakes. It wasn't like if Lashley wins the post off, he gets a title shot or he gets something. It was just like these two just started interacting with each other and they're doing a pose down. Um, also, really unfortunate that you do a pose down and you don't even have Triple H in the building. He was uh, he was in Atlanta for an NIL college sports thing, so he missed the actual pose down. Because you know, you, you you hear a pose down, and you, you you think back to Triple H 
uh, Scott's Diner back in the day. That, that's um, that's what I kept thinking about. This was fine, whatever. I just it it, it it's so it's so lacking juice. It's so lacking connection. It's just like these things are just happening, and you just go with it, and there's no rhyme or reason or stakes to anything. And and this was just yet another one of them. So it's a low good because it was fine, but like nothing actually came out of it. It didn't matter. Yeah, exactly right. On Raw, we had Kevin Owens against Ezekiel. No stipulation. Owens dodged Zeke's flying knee at the bell, hitting a super kick, cannonball, and senton bomb for a near fall. Zeke did an attitude adjustment on Owens into the rigid part of the steel steps, which Jeez, had to hurt. God. Um, I mean, if you want to do that move, okay. Not for a random Raw match. Like, save yeah. that for a premium live event or something. Uh, Zeke then did a really cool fallaway slam with an extra half rotation, uh, then a pump knee that knocked KO outside. KO got distracted by commentary referring to Elias as Ezekiel, so he pulled up the announce table lid and jumped on it, like stomping like a child, before he got counted out. I I'm telling you, the countouts, it the DQs, this, it's, it's endless. It, it's, it's fucking like the endless. It's a two out of three falls error, but now we're in the, the count out. I'm telling you, there, there was some mandate for like more count outs and DQs. Then he got even angrier, of course, because he lost the match. Zeke grabbed the mic and said he's not done with KO yet, but he wants in money in the bank. And then he goes from that to saying, I spoke with Elias, who's going to be at Raw next week. And then he did the walk with Elias deal as Owens screamed at him from the ramp. What was the point of this? Owens beat Zeke clean at Hell in a Cell. Why continue this feud with no stakes? Why have him lose via countout in five minutes? Why have Zeke talk about Money in the Bank with no details when this match probably should have just been a Money in the Bank qualifier in the first place or their next one should be a Money in the Bank qualifier? How is this feud still going on? Why are there suddenly two countout finishes in a single show? I am just completely, completely fed up this was clearly, in my opinion at least, ugly. This is bullshit, man! This is a I'm not giving it ugly, I'm giving it a bad. Because again, it was like, we have no context on Elias. We just like, has he been trying to get in contact with him and he hasn't heard from him? If you yes, watch those YouTube... videos, that's what he said. It, okay, but if you watch those YouTube videos that they've been putting out with Ezekiel kind of giving his backstory... It's actually really good, and there's character development there, but you don't see it on TV. I just like he's Elias is coming back to have a, give a concert. Like he does, he have any? I, I and like you know he said is he Elias is older now, so I assume we might get some body double of some older dude. I I don't know. Like it's so weird that th this has been going on since the day after WrestleMania mm -hmm. in April, early April, and. This is the first time they decide to use the Elias thing, and this is how they decide to do it. Like, I just like look. I'm looking forward to it next week, but like again, these things are just happening out there, and we're just putting it here, and it's just like it's really hard to follow or really just connect to. And this is another. One. Yeah, this has been going on for exactly two and a half months. They had Owens win, which should have ended the feud, and yet it's ongoing. I, I am curious to see how WWE pulls it off next week. Like I am, I am actually anticipating the segment because I, I do want to know what the hell is going to happen here. It could be basic with a fake beard. They could go crazy and spend money and do a hologram or they could pre-tape something with a split screen. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do, but that's all I care about. Like 
okay, they're going to do the Elias thing. How are they going to pull it off? I don't want to see them wrestle again. I'm entertained by Zeke, but I don't really need him on my TV anymore. And more than anything else, I badly want Kevin Owens to move on to something that matters. Mm -hmm. Kevin Mm -hmm. Owens needs to be in this Money in the Bank qualifier. He needs to be talking about getting his mojo back. Maybe if Lashley does win the U.S. championship, Kevin Owens is a challenger for that title. And they make a really big feud out of it. They need to be doing something else with all of these people. It is just mind-numbing some of the shit we got on Raw. And by the way, it's about to get worse with the next three segments that we're going to break down. Rey Mysterio versus Veer Mahan. They went back and forth early until Rey dodged Veer, sending him full force into the ring post. Veer basically no-sold it. He murdered Dominic outside, guess where, into the timekeeper's area. Then he broke Rey over his knee and beat the former world champion with a cervical clutch in four minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? What is this booking? The Mysterios finally beat him two on one and that's where it ends. Ray freaking Mysterio can't beat Veer Mahan. Not just not beat him, he loses to him in four and a half minutes. This is as ugly as it could possibly get. Go to hell on this one. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Ugly again. I just like. There's no every every veer thing is like five minutes. It's it again. Just I keep saying this, over, but these things are you just you can't connect with it. They're not telling a story. Things are just kind of happening. I where where do you go now? Like it's done, right? He just he he wrecked the whole family. So it's done. I he he beat him in four minutes clean. Like there's nothing to do now. So okay, I. It's just, the whole thing is weird. I just, Veer was the one was, who was distracted outside by Dominic, and yet he came right back in and beat Ray. Yeah. Like, so, like, we're done, right? <laughs> I hope I, so. I, 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 like, and this wasn't even, like, you, you could have done the, like, Braun Strowman, I'm not done with you yet, and he just follows the Mysterios and wrecks them outside ambulances and just goes on a rampage against them. That'd be something. This is nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. What'd you give it? Uh, ugly. Okay. Uh, Mustafa Ali fought Chad Gable. Ali was hot early. He took a sliding header into the middle turnbuckle. That was a really good spot. Uh, It gave Gable momentum. Gable hit a butterfly suplex for a near fall, but Ali avoided a moonsault and hit a tornado DDT. Otis distracted as Ali was going for the top rope, and Gable hit his rolling German suplex for the win in three minutes and 20 seconds. Holy shit, was this frustrating. Ali (laughs) went from challenging for the United States Championship to getting thoroughly beaten by half of a tag team in less than four minutes. I love Gable. You guys know that. Don't get me wrong. But holy shit. I mean, if they come back and give Ali clean wins over Gable and Otis in a short feud, and then he gets into Money in the Bank, I can buy it. But this standing on its own, which is what it has to right now, it was bad. Why not do Gable Ali 10-minute Money in the Bank qualifier, let Ali win, get him in there? I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand what they're doing with everyone on Raw. Money in the Bank is now two Raws away. They have one person in the match in total across both brands. Mind-numbing. This, but forget that. This was bad. Uh, I'm giving it a light bad because I liked what we got. I just wanted more of it. Like it started off really hot. I was like, oh man, these guys are they're gonna like these guys are gonna get to go with each other a bit. This is gonna be fun. I enjoyed the few few minutes, and then I'm like, one, two, three. Oh, that. Oh, that's it. And that was a crowd's reaction too. 
there was no reaction to the three count because no one expected it to end like that. I was like, oh, okay. So what was what was the point of this? It, like, it, it's so rare that WWE gives you a match with zero story coming in or going out. This just happened. Yep. And there yep. was and there was no reaction from anybody because it was just like it was just completely random. And this isn't like AW where they'll hype up, hey, Chad Gable versus Ali, it's gonna be a great match. Can't wait to watch it. They didn't even give you that. It just happened. Yeah. And it wasn't even promoted and, on the show. Yeah, and, and and they gave you they gave us like two five minute matches in the final like 30 minutes of the show before the post down. It felt like they just crammed in a bunch of matches at the last minute because they knew they weren't going to wrestle in the main event. Um, like why even is, do this again, match? Back to the give, weird pacing and structuring. Give the four minutes of this match to Riddle and Champa and let them have a real match. Give it to sure, the women's yeah. match and, and, and let the women go longer. That's yeah. what I said earlier at the start of the show. Seven of the nine matches on the show were five yeah. minutes or less. Very or they weird. never started. One of them didn't even start. Yeah. I mean, it's just, how is that entertaining? It's not, it's not entertaining. It's not no. sports. It's not entertaining. And it's certainly not wrestling. So you're, you're striking out on all three if you're WWE. Speaking of that, MVP fought Cedric Alexander. MVP yes. talks shit. Was, this was it. This was the second one, right? In that final half hour. I, I don't even know when this is, but this was one of them. I think it, I think it was, yeah. Uh, MVP talks shit. Cedric entered in non-black and gold gear, by the way, for the first time in, I think, a few years since the Hurt Business thing started. Omos got a shot outside. MVP then squashed Alexander in 90 seconds. This is as bad as booking gets. A guy who doesn't wrestle anymore, squashing a 32-year-old legitimate talent who should be getting a mid-card push. Either Cedric's contract is up, he's being released, or this is just the worst, single worst booking of his entire career. None of those are legitimate excuses for this piece of shit that did not accomplish a single thing. The goal here is to get Omas over. This got, what, MVP over? Did they do this match because of the reported story about MVP and Chris Jericho yelling at each other in a hotel? Like, I have no idea why this happened the way it did. But if you're going to do this match, you have Cedric Alexander beat MVP. Elevate this guy. Give him something right. to do. You have Alexander, Chad Gable, and Mustafa Ali all in this third hour who I'm not saying they need to be champions, but they should be guys who are putting on dynamite matches either with each other or with other superstars to help get those people over. Instead, they're just getting squashed. They're irrelevant. They're not even a part of the show. Hey, guess what? If they're not going to be a major part of Raw, move them over to SmackDown, which needs talent and has no one on the show. This was as ugly as it possibly gets. That is one big time yeah. shit. Yeah, again, just like those guys you just mentioned, like they all have strengths, like lean into those strengths. They didn't at all. These these are guys you could replace with anybody and it wouldn't make any difference. And so so Cedric MVP, like I know Omos kind of did a thing, but like it's done, right? Like are we, are, we're not going to do another MVP versus Alexander match. Like Bobby Lashley's not involved in this anymore. Like I again, I just I don't know what the point of this was. And it just, it was just a thing that happened and that yeah. was it. So, all right. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Your grade? Uh, ugly, ugly. Oh, did I miss it? I'm sorry. That's my bad. Yeah. Um, two more things. We don't have to grade these. Just two quick things to talk about before we get out of here. There was a short Viking Raiders vignette showing mostly clips from their Street Profits feud. They're coming back soon to smack them. I don't remember if they were on Raw or not previously, but they haven't been used in a while on the main roster. They did have a couple matches in NXT recently. But the division does need tag teams, especially if you're going to have the Usos remain champions. They need face tag teams to beat. So I did think that this was a solid move. Anything to say on this? 
I'd say you don't need tag teams because you only have one tag team championship. Like, like you need they, challengers. Not, they don't have any tag teams in the company. Well, they could, but they just they're not doing it. I, 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 I like the Raiders. They were fine in NXT. I liked them during that whole Street Profits bit. Other than that, they've been completely unmemorable. And them coming back is like, sure, whatever. I don't really. It's fine, but I, and, I have no, I have no reaction or excitement for it. And then lastly, here next week on SmackDown is going to feature, yes, Madcap Moss against Happy Corbin in a last laugh match. It's also going to feature Max Dupree announcing his first client, which was supposed to debut last Friday. I don't mind them pushing back the debut, given it's a low-card storyline. And this past SmackDown on Friday, it was jam-packed. But Moss Corbin again, it is just completely unnecessary. Like, what are they going to do? Put Corbin over and 50-50 book it? They, they did an injury angle to kick Corbin out to the curb and have him maybe refresh his character. Um maybe be gone for a couple months and just allow people to breathe without him on the show. And they're just bringing him back for a last laugh match. They're calling it a last laugh match. Madcap is still called Madcap. His finisher is still the punchline. What are they doing? Um, look, they at least could have made this a money in the bank qualifier to justify the rematch. Another mm-hmm. easy option, completely overlooked yep. by WWE yep. for no reason. But if it's not that, and it's just a last laugh match, I know that Madcap is getting over with the fans. I appreciate that. I don't want to see it. What is a last laugh match? Can I have no idea. What it is? So like, what, what does that mean? You can't tell us, the, you can't give us the name of the match and not tell us at that moment what it means. I presume like, it's just like those matches that they've had in the past with like Miz and John Cena and they've done it with other people where a feud has gone on so long, they basically just say, this is the last time you're going to fight. But they, win, they win, actually, lose or draw. Win, lose or draw. This is the last time you're fighting. Period. They actually ended it in a in a good spot. They did the last match. We we liked that match. We did. All this tells all this tells me all this. What's coming up on SmackDown? What happened on Raw? Is that I don't think they have plans. None for a lot of things. It feels like they don't know what they're doing with half the people on this roster. Like you said, there was there's two Raws left, and we have one Money in the Bank person in there. We don't even know who else is in the mix. In terms of the men's match, like it just feels like they have no clue what they're doing right now. And and look, we we shit. At, this is the end of the podcast. We really shit on a lot. But this is a really bad episode of Raw. And I'm trying to hold down a cough. I got a doctor's appointment later today, so I'm kind of pissed off about that. Maybe we're just on edge here. But like this, 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 this there was not a lot of good stuff going on here. And a lot of the stuff that happened made me feel like that they just don't have any clue what they're doing with at least half the roster right now. I was okay with the fact that Sasha Banks and Naomi walking out screwed things up for the women's booking. And they took some time to adjust to that. And it feels like they've adjusted. And I, it's I get, honestly been the best part. Well, that's and, the most, that's yeah. the most sensical thing that's been going on. And, and I, the two, it, two singles championships. I agree with that. And, and I feel, I feel like they've, they've figured that out at least to get to a point where coming out of money in the bank, they'll probably be back on track for whatever they were going to do. So Credit to them for doing it. I don't know if this Roman Reigns thing was unplanned. I don't know if um, because they if, if this was 100% because they moved Money in the Bank from a stadium to arena, which again, if literally that's the only move that they decided not to put Reigns on this pay-per-view or premium live event, or if Reigns has it in his contract, then he only does special events that are at stadium shows. I mean, I can't imagine that would be the case. But if if something like that happened and they literally changed the main event for that reason, that screwed up the men's main event picture. We've discussed ad nauseum how the mid-card has been atrocious coming out of WrestleMania because, you know, no offense to the people that had the titles, but they did nothing with either of them as champion. Um, And 
Then you have the tag team scene that's been completely reduced to a single champion again that's just recent. But even during that, as they were building up to that undisputed tag team championship, they stopped doing tag team feuds on both shows that really did not involve the title. So everything has just been getting worse and worse and worse since WrestleMania. And as we've said, since day one, January 1st this year, the first half of 2022, WWE's booking has largely, not completely, but largely in many cases, been a mess. The main event has been a complete mess since the start of the year. And this is where we are. We're entering this stadium summer that was supposed to have four straight shows. It's down to three straight shows. Are they going to pick it up for SummerSlam? Is, or are these next two or three weeks, is this the end of the struggle? You know, is this the pain point where we get through all the painful bits where they try to reorganize whatever the hell they're going to do? Money in the Bank is then a jumping off point for SummerSlam and Clash at the Castle and then Crown Jewel. And we have three very strong months of WWE. I do think, Chris, that's very possible. It is very possible. But that doesn't change the fact that right now we are in the dumps in WWE in terms of booking and storytelling. It is not good right now. Nope. Nope. It's not. So we'll see. All right. And that is it for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I do need to note that Thursday's show this week is going to be massive. Not only are we going to be doing our normal talk about AEW and NXT, the Silver King is going to inject a little bit of NXT UK. There's a huge uh, women's championship match on the show between Mako Satomura and Ivy Nile from Diamond Mine that I need to discuss. I'm also going to be talking about New Japan Dominion, which has implications not just, of course, for New Japan itself, but for AEW Forbidden Door. And the Silver King may have a surprise or two up his sleeve as well. So definitely look out for this coming Thursday edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is indeed going to be jam-packed. But that is going to come Thursday. Do not forget, one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back with our next WWE episode. That is the end of today's show. Allow me to remind you before we get out of here, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show and why they should subscribe. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Yes, it was a little bit of a messy, long show today. Chris, I hope you feel better after going to visit the doctor in a bit. So allow me to wrap it up for Vintage. This is the Silver King leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.